0: Good morning. We are searching for serenity. And we began this series by pointing out that God doesn't give serenity, which is the way the serenity prayer, again, the more popular version, but the original one by Reinhold Niebuhr. uh, He asked not for serenity, but that God would give us grace to accept with serenity things that cannot be changed. As we're looking at this as a process of learning to live with the tension of unfulfilled needs and unmet expectations, we moved on to deal with the courage to make needed changes and the wisdom to determine what can and cannot be changed. So now we find ourselves in new territory. The best-known version of the serenity prayer ends with the appeal to wisdom, but that's not where the original prayer stopped. And so we look on to how he completed this prayer, and this is what um, Reinhold Niebuhr originally put in terms of the serenity prayer, God give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. So this morning we come to think about living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time it sounds simple enough living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time but it's very very hard to live a day at a time we're told to do so biblically therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own not worrying about tomorrow that's something that's definitely easier said than done very simple can it kind of can reduce itself into two brief sentences this is very very difficult if we could figure out how to do this we could sell this and market it all over the globe everybody is trying to look for a way to keep worrying at bay and to live a day at a time and enjoy a moment at a time um, let's look at a couple things as we think about what the Bible has to say about this we'll look at what our problem is and so when the Bible talks about what our issue is why it is that we get caught up in worry, we will have to identify that and let, let's see what what the solution is biblically as we think about our problem here's what the writer to the Hebrews said take care brothers lest There be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. The the thing about the passages that we'll look at is that they talk about today. And that's what we find here. What are we supposed to do today? Worrying is about being caught up with tomorrow. What if? Oh, no. What if? oh no what if oh no and and so we get caught up in what ifs and oh no's and that drags us in tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and we find ourselves ruminating about what's going to happen a week from now two weeks from now three weeks from now and then we hear a verse don't worry about tomorrow tomorrow will care for itself but we feel like we're being swept downstream by worry worry is very difficult to combat very very challenging to live a day at a time very difficult And these passages that we'll look at talk about today so how is it that we are able to live a day at a time and to deal with today without tomorrow leeching its way into today and dragging us into a preoccupation with the future that's what we'll try to figure out we find ourselves this verse we're in the middle of a spiritual autopsy And what we're looking at is the wilderness. And in the wilderness, about three million somewhere, they left Egypt and two of the original arrived um, in the promised land. And so we have millions of graves. And we find ourselves doing crime scene investigation, looking at these bodies, trying to figure out what in the world happened from a spiritual perspective. Doing a spiritual autopsy. What claimed the lives of so many Israelites in the wilderness? And what this passage indicates is there are a couple of things. Um, Evil, unbelieving hearts. Evil, unbelieving hearts. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, So what we end up doing is finding that the deal with worry is a heart issue. It's about the heart according to a Jew, is not just what we feel. A heart is the place where the major things are determined that decide what we're going to do. It's it's not just the feeling that the heart reflects, but it's why we do the things we do, the thoughts, the attitudes, and the actions. And um, it goes to diagnose then, the root problem. Let's see if we can find and isolate. What is the issue? Because would you agree with me? If you're going to solve a problem, you need to understand it. If, you know, if you go into a hospital and they don't diagnose your condition, they can't prescribe a cure. They can't treat something if they don't know clearly what the problem is. And that's what we find. What is the problem? And if we can isolate it, and then we'll see what the Bible has to say about treating it. Let's see if we can zoom in then. As it is said, again, here it is, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were they who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left? Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient." So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Again, before you treat a condition, you've got to understand it clearly. And let's really, really try to be clear about the problem. We have all kinds of stuff happening here. Hardened hearts, deceitful, sinning. Is that the issue? What's the problem? Um, why did so many die in the desert? Well, it says a couple of things about them in terms of their condition. They were hard-hearted. You know, they God said, do go this way? And they said, no, I want to go that way. That's certainly a problem. Um, they rebelled. rebelled. Rebellion is... You tell me this, I'm done, I'm done, that's it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not obeying you anymore. They rebel, we understand rebellion, that's certainly an issue. Um, they sinned, and sinning is the byproduct of hard-heartedness and rebellion. God said, do X, they said, nuts to that, I'm doing Y. You know, why am I going to obey you when all we do is walk around in circles, I'm done. I'm done. Um, that's certainly an issue. Um, they were disobedient. The word disobedient here, when it says they um, to those who are disobedient, it's a disobedience rooted in disbelief. That's, there's different types of nuances of disobedience. Some disobedience is just the act of disobeying. This word for disobedient, it's not just what you do, but why you do it. And so let's say I'm needing some banking assistance. Wanda is in the banking profession. And if I don't trust her, if I don't believe she's competent, she could tell me you should do X and I... If I don't trust her, I'm not going to do what she says. That's a disobedience-based in disbelief. That's what this disobedience is biblically. So we have all these things. They were hard-hearted. They rebelled. They sinned. They were disobedient. That's their issue, right? That's the problem. And so if disobedience is the issue, what's the solution? Be obedient. If rebellion is the problem, what's the solution? Don't rebel comply if hard-heartedness is the issue what's the solution become soft-hearted it said though the root issue they were not able to enter because of unbelief again it's important to zero in their basic issue was unbelief it was the unbelief that led to rebellion It was the unbelief that led to hard-heartedness. It was the unbelief that led to disobedience. It's the unbelief, it's the unbelief that's the problem. So all those other things are the symptoms. But if we want to get to the infection at the heart of the condition, we have to deal apparently with unbelief. That's the root problem. Disbelief leading to disobedience and again this is somewhat surprising we assume that disobedience disbelief and hard-heartedness are the problem so that's the diagnosis unbelief okay so go and believe let's pray and you know fortunately this it doesn't just stop there it it gives us some practical ways to deal with unbelief um let's look at god's solution now we who have believed enter that rest just as god has said they shall never enter my rest and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words and on the seventh day god rested from all his work let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. What it's describing here, it's looking at the trail that led to millions of people not able to comply and obey, and it describes what we need to do in order not to fall into the same example of disobedience. So if we don't want to land in rebellion and hard-heartedness and sin and disobedience, if we don't want to land in that because of unbelief, then we, um, we need to do what it says that we should do to not fall into that same example of disobedience. And what it says for us to do? is make every effort to enter God's rest. So let's try to figure that out. God's rest. What it says is that God rested from all his work. I want you to imagine somebody resting from their work. Somebody resting from their work, they're already finished. They're done. What they determined to do is completed. And if that person has done a good job, are they worried? No, it's done. They figured out what needed to happen. They fixed the thing that needed to be fixed. They completed the task that needed to be completed. And so if the work is done, then the opportunity to rest is there. You know what it says about God? That God rested from all his work. If you tune into God and if you're able to visualize him, let me tell you what you're not going to find. You're not going to find God chewing his nails. He's not restless. God isn't restless. God is not reacting. God is at rest. Somebody who's at rest understands that the things that need to be done to secure what needs to be secured are completed. God's at rest. You know what I think one of the major attributes of God is that makes him different from everyone else? Is that he is at rest when you are God nothing can challenge you nothing can make you restless nothing can make you afraid nothing can cause you to react and the reason is because God's finished with all his work that's the challenge you know what it's telling us to do in order to not be overridden by worrying it's telling us to enter God's rest when it says make every effort to enter God's rest It's telling us to approach God. And while we cannot be unaware of what's worrying us, you know what it's asking us to do? Focus in on him. Don't just look at your situation. Look at him. And again, we can't see him. But what it's asking us to do is Getting a sense of what God is like. I've told this story before. David Mao, he has been trained as a scuba diver. And so he was describing to me what happens when he has to assist somebody who deep in the water, their oxygen supply has been cut off. And so what he has to do is this. He, he has to go down and he's going to share his oxygen with them. But what he has to do is this. He can't just share his oxygen. He has to have them look at him. So what he'll do is he'll do this. Look at me. And then he... He has to model. Breathe in and breathe out. Because if this person gets the oxygen, it's not going to help. So he needs to not just give them oxygen but help them breathe he has to so that they can model his rest that's what the writer is suggesting there are all kinds of things happening in our world that are frightening that's where worry happens doesn't it what if the delta variant spikes in south dakota What's it going to mean? Are we still going to be able to meet? Are you still going to be able to work? There are things to worry about. There are things to be concerned about. If we dial God in, we don't find reactivity. Now, that's interesting. It can feel, well, that's kind of concerning. We might want God to be upset, but he isn't. That's God is at rest, and we are to enter his rest. Rest, again, is the prerogative of when you're God. Rest is also the state of mind who would represent God. With the high priest in the Old Testament, the high priest represented God. It was not permitted for the high priest to do one thing. When things weren't looking good, most people, when they were reacting through some catastrophe, they would take and tear their garment as a sign of grief, or they would put dust on their head as an external expression of mourning a high priest was not allowed to do that and it's interesting the people who represent god were not allowed to appear too restless you know why because god's not restless and if you're going to represent god accurately restlessness is not going to cut it because god is not restless He's not biting his nails, wondering what's going to happen if the wrong person wins the next election. He just is not. He he understands that everything is going to work out. He's not worried. So what it ends up saying in this passage let us therefore make every effort to enter his rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So here's the deal. What God wants us to do, approach him and think about him and what he is and is not worried about and enter his rest so let me tell you what entering his rest is not entering his rest is not exiting my restlessness if I am going to enter God's rest I don't need to put all my restless thoughts aside i don't need to do that because he doesn't say exit your restlessness he says enter his rest i hear sometimes where individuals when worship they would indicate take all your concerns and burdens and put them aside and just come and think about god and that's not what he says don't set your burdens aside come with your burdens in your hands but enter his rest so it doesn't mean exit your restlessness, nor does it mean that God enters your restlessness and fixes it. If you enter God's rest, you might not be immediately at rest. It doesn't mean that God comes in and he makes them go away like a sedative. He doesn't. Entering his rest is coming before him with a realistic perspective of what you're dealing with. And yet, You're holding on to God's promises at the same time. That's what entering God's rest means, that you hold on to your hurt, you hold on to your hope, and you do this today. Today. And guess what you're going to do tomorrow? Hold on to your concerns and hold on to your promises Tomorrow. And guess what you're going to do the next day? Yada, 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 day at a time. That's the way it's, that's what it's describing. Um, When it says make every effort to enter God's rest, you know what it's funny? It comes from the Greek word from which we get the word speed, hurry. You know what it's saying? Rest and be quick about it. Hurry up and rest. That's really literally. What it's saying if you want to be able to do something and say boy you know what i've really got to do because if i'm going to do this it will really be helpful here's what the bible is telling you hurry up and rest yeah if we hear his voice he's saying enter my rest uh, how do we do that okay one more verse so it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We talk about a word, a Greek word. It's it's the one Greek word that I'll, I'd encourage you to, to at least know so you're familiar with it. It's the word right there. That word, confidence. The word confidence, it comes from a Greek word, parousia. And this is what parousia means. Let's say we're in the Roman Empire and you're Roman citizens. Let's say you're Roman citizens and who am I going to pick on? Uh, Lorraine is not a Roman citizen. Lorraine is not a Roman citizen. You are all Roman citizens and so I am a Roman authority and so I'm conducting a public meeting. And so I'm going to tell you about taxes that we're going to impose and things like that. Anybody have anything to say? Galen, sure. Okay. What do you... Okay. Lorraine might... Okay. Okay. Anybody else? You know? So confidence means that if you're a Roman citizen, you have the right to speak freely and you can say to me things that you would want to say. But if you don't have the freedom because you're not a Roman citizen, Lorraine can't talk so here's what it says we have confidence to enter the throne of grace you know what god wants from you then not to be like lorraine what god wants from you is he wants you to speak freely with him to come to the throne of grace and speak freely with him and here's what he says will happen if you learn to do that you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need entering god's rest you know what it means Coming, inhaling God's commitments, His promises, exhaling your concerns. You know what they say it's good to do when you're worried? Breathe. Like David did with the diver underneath the water, he had to model breathing. What are you worried about? Don't try to force it away. You know what to say? You know what to do? Here's what he says Breathe in, breathe in God's commitments. He says he will never fail you or forsake you. No good thing does he withhold to those who walk uprightly. And then you don't just breathe in his commitments. Exhale your concerns to him, because that's what he tells you to do. God, you care about me. God, I'm worried about health care in the future. God you say you'll never you'll always be with me. I'm concerned about this medical test that I've just taken. Inhale his commitments. Exhale your concerns. And what you'll find, it doesn't make your issues go away, but you can tolerate them better today. Um, When applied to the throne of grace, speaking openly is... A command not a suggestion this is what God wanted to teach the Israelites in the wilderness I said this before in the first year when they were in the wilderness what God told Moses okay here's what the deal is there's no water I want you to come and there's a rock and I want you to hit the rock so what what did Moses do he came there was no water he took his staff hit the rock and what happened water came out of the rock So let's let 39 years pass, wandering in circles. Millions of Israelites died. And do you remember why they died? I know you remember the the problems. It was hard-heartedness and sin and rebellion and disobedience. But do you remember what the root problem was? Unbelief unbelief so in the 39th year here's what god told moses to do i want you to take i want you to go to the rock and i want you to talk to it what did moses do did he have a discussion with the rock he took that thing and whacked it a couple of times and you know what god said you didn't treat me as holy you know what god wanted to teach them in the wilderness don't strike the rock talk to it you know what god wants to teach you and me, about the things you're worried about. He wants you to talk to him about them. He wants you to talk to him. And you know how you do that? Inhale his commitments. Exhale his concerns. And it builds the ability to... And to be able to speak freely. It's not something that we can learn quickly. We're promised that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He wants us to tune in. A couple of things when you're tuning in God's commitments, a couple of things that I'd like you to tune in on. Two things, two S words: sympathy and sovereignty. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, cold, frightened. He understands what it feels like and therefore when you approach god tune in jesus sympathy and what you'll find jesus will lock eyes with you and he'll tell you i know exactly how you feel he does sympathy tune that in and sovereignty the sympathy of the son the sovereignty of the father and the father when you look at him jesus sympathy feels very comforting and you look to the father and he's ultimately in control and what you're not going to find You know, Jesus, what am I going to do? Boy, there's really a mess down there. He's, you know what you're going to find? Rest. And the the, the combination of that, inhale that. His sympathy and sovereignty. Then exhale your concerns to him. And the reason you do that is not to eliminate worry, but to be able to tolerate it. What day? Today. Today. Talk to him. Today about today's issues and he'll you receive mercy and find grace to help so his last question we'll talk about really quickly what do we talk about so what does he want us to pray to him about last verse don't be anxious about anything okay but in everything by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus what should you ask for according to this verse doesn't stipulate. Doesn't tell you. It doesn't say, ask about this, don't ask about that. You know what it just says? Present your requests. And it doesn't tell you what they are because it doesn't need to tell you what they are. Just the things that you're concerned about, ask him about those things. That's what it says. So present your requests. Why should we ask God for these things? Have you, how many of you, when you've requested things from God, have gotten everything you've requested? Come on, put your hand down. Don't be shy. Come on nobody so that's the problem you know Mike I've tried that and I've asked him about things and I haven't gotten them so I'm stuck what does he say he'll give it says if we ask things it says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus he doesn't promise that you'll get what you ask for what he does promise you is that you'll get what you're looking for and you know what you're looking for a way to deal with today's worries today peace will form a protective perimeter worries are like orcs you know if you see the orcs in the the hobbit movies you know they just There's just too many of them. And worries are like that. They just bombard our brain. Peace is how God creates a protective perimeter that allows our mind to put his promises in a place that we can appreciate them. It can happen that there are so many worries that get in the way that we can't see God's promises at all. It's like he disappears. And when we present our requests, it says the peace of God creates a protective perimeter that doesn't get rid of our problems. It doesn't give us everything we want, but what it does give us, the ability to make room for his promises. And what will that do? And we can learn to breathe. Now, anybody who's taken a fitness program learned that the ability to breathe deeply, if you're doing something strenuous, it doesn't happen right away, does it? But if you practice it little by little, you know what i found? That expressing my frustrations to God, it would seem to be very natural for me. It's completely unnatural to me. And I have to work at it. That's what I'm finding. And you, and, oh yeah, I might used to work at it. No, currently. But it's something worthwhile working on let me give you a i'm going to suggest and if you can pull this i'm not sure of the time when you pray do you pray in the morning is that your best time of prayer when you're waking up some of you when you're waking up the prayers don't sound jesus jesus Jesus. Jesus," you know and it just kind of floats off in there some of us aren't really at our best in the morning some of us are our time of prayer some of us you know bing you know and it Uh, some of us the nights but whenever you pray it's when you're walking in the morning at night um, can i encourage you to do something you know what i'm going to ask you to do breathe inhale those commitments and exhale your concerns don't just inhale commitments and not exhale you know what happens if you inhale and don't exhale Try it with me. It's gonna be okay for a little while, but there'll be a couple of time that you're really gonna to want to exhale. And the idea too, you can't just exhale and not inhale. Do both. Inhale and exhale. Inhale is commitments. Exhale is concerns. Inhale is commitments. Exhale your concerns. Inhale his commitments. Exhale your concerns. Why would you want to do that? Because that's how you enter God's rest. Why would you want to enter God's rest? Because that's how you deal with unbelief. Why would you want to deal with unbelief? Because that's the root of the problem. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, this is really difficult. Worrying is very natural. We don't need to learn to worry. Worrying is default. Our brain naturally worries. It's supernatural not to we can't protect ourselves from worrying, but what you do say that when we learn to present our requests, your peace, which is not a feeling, it's a protective perimeter, it's a protection, causes our hearts and minds to focus on Jesus, it makes it so that our mind is able to focus on commitment so This is not something that's going to be learned overnight, but over time. But would you help us to, little by little, more and more, learn to breathe, exhaling concerns, inhaling commitments, so that we could live life and enjoy life one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.